friends, on behalf of the entire leadership team at the Church of the Apostles, I want to thank you for joining us. Welcome to this special time of worship and celebration. And I want to encourage you to connect with us throughout the week. Good morning. My name is Chris Jackson and welcome to Apostles. Thank you for making the decision to begin this new year in corporate worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're visiting today, please let us know by filling out the guest card in the pew in front of you or online. There's also a place for you to submit a prayer request so that we can pray for you. We want to lead people to Jesus and a community where they matter and belong. Therefore, if you are interested in taking the next step toward membership at Apostles, we would like to invite you to join us next Sunday, January 17th, for a first look right after church. Kids, if you missed today's launch of Cosmos Command, I want to invite you to check it out online. You can come back next Sunday at 9 a.m. with Admiral Crossview and the rest of the Cosmos Command team as we travel across the universe to learn the names of God. Learn more about upcoming events by checking out the online bulletin on our website or by scanning the signs outside the sanctuary. The Word of God encourages us to pray and to worship and to draw near to God because He will draw near to us. May God use this time to speak to you in a powerful way. Well, good morning, everyone. Would you stand with us as we worship the Lord together through song? We approach His throne this morning through grace and grace alone. We sing. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I hear you call. Father, you were at your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. Father, you love me still. And in love before you lay the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. So I above my station And I'm a child of God My grace and grace alone You left this home You left your home to seek out the lost You knew the great and terrible cause Jesus, your face was set And I worked my fingers down to the bone Nothing I did could ever atone But Jesus, you paid my debt By his blood By your blood I have redemption and salvation Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown and you rose that I might be a new creation. And I am born again by grace and grace alone. And I was in darkness all of 
spirit you made me see I swore I knew the way on my own Head full of rocks, heart made of stone Spirit you moved in me At your touch my sleeping spirit was awakened On my darkened heart the light of Christ has shone Caught into a kingdom that cannot be shaken Heaven set us in by grace and grace alone So I stand in faith by grace and grace alone I will run the race by grace and grace alone And I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. How firm a foundation that we have in Christ Jesus, we sing. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say to, to you he has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled? Fear not, I am with you, oh be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotence in hand. On Christ, on Christ the firm foundation. sufficient will be your supply the flames will not hurt you I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine on Christ the firm foundation my rock redeemer righteousness on Christ the I'll never, no, never, no, never. 
Magnify the Lord together we sing. Stand strong and worship you, and if it 
puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a doorway Into resurrection life And if I join you in your suffering Then I'll join you when you rise And when you return in glory With all the angels and the saints My heart will still be singing My soul will be the same Oh, Christ be magnified Let his praise arise Christ be seated as we move into a time of prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious, gracious Father, you have brought us here. You brought us here right where we belong in your very presence. You've called us here. You, you've called us before your throne, and, and you, you have been invited us here, and you've, you've done all that's necessary to allow us to be in your presence through the cross, through your grace, and through your mercy. So here we are, Lord. This is indeed our, our time of need. Lord, we need you. We need the very things that, that allow us to be here. We need your grace. Lord, we need your mercy and on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of this church, on behalf of our world, and especially on behalf of our nation, Lord, we need your healing. Lord, we need you. We cling to you. Give us, as, as well as our leaders, unity. Give us wisdom. Give us humility. Lord, uh, we are dependent upon you in all things. You are our rock. Lord, we ask for these things in, in every sphere of our life. Lord, there are so many needs in this very room. Lord, I, I thank you that you give us the ability to come before you and all that's going on, you listen to the things on our own hearts, Lord. And all of us know people who are suffering. All of us know people who are in need of your healing touch, Lord. I I think of dear friend Lori uh, clinging to her life in a coma uh, in ICU on a ventilator because of this virus, Lord. We, we pray for her healing, your hand on her, Lord. I pray that she would return quickly to her family. Lord, and as we take a moment for silent prayer, as each of us bring before you the people 
that we know that are suffering right now, people that need your healing hand, Lord, we pray in silence together. Lord, thank you for, for going before us in these, uh, and your, your hand is on these people that we love. Lord, we come to you as a community of worshipers, a community of people that love your word and need your truth. Lord, this morning, uh, we pray that you would empower James as he teaches from your word, Lord, not only empower his teaching, but we ask that you would empower our hearing, you would empower our hearts, Lord, and where you want to bring encouragement through your word, we pray that we would leave encouraged and, and where you want to bring conviction as a result of this teaching, Lord, we pray that we would embrace that conviction. And Lord, where you want us to apply your word today, we pray that we would leave this place with the courage and conviction to act on it. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, this is normally our time of giving, but you'll have an opportunity to do that outside the doors at the end of the service. So what uh, I would love for us to do is just for us to have a posture during this song. Um, this is derived from Psalm 127, and it ends with just this incredible declaration from Revelation 21 and 22 that, Behold, our God will live with us, and we will be his people, and he will be our God. I don't know about you, uh, but it is a new year, but also it's off to a little bit of a crazy start. I am looking forward to a day where God comes to make all things new, uh, and he will do that in and through Christ, and I pray that he will begin that good work in each one of us now. So we're going to sing this song as we prepare our hearts uh, with a posture of giving and worship before the sermon. Should nothing of our reference stand, no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house in vain its builders strive to you boast tomorrow's gain tell me what is your life amidst the vanishes a thought all glory be to
Good morning, and welcome to the House of the Lord, and welcome to our 2021 edition of the early service. Um, Johnny Youssef was supposed to be here this morning uh, to begin a series of sermons, and he is in quarantine. He was exposed to someone this week that um, he, such in such a way that he felt like he needed to stay home. So late in the week, he asked me if I would fill in for him. So I'm here this morning, and hopefully he'll be back next week to begin that series, if not next week, the week after. And this morning, I sense that we all kind of need our hearts lifted up. It's been a heavy few days. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. And I'm going to read this entire chapter. And then uh, there is a, a particular verse that I want to draw your attention to later in the message today. But um, when I, I have a simple point I want to make today, and I'm going to try to make it in a simple way. And our scripture reading that we'll come off of is, is Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> and we'll read the entirety together. Why don't you stand as we read the scripture? And you can follow along in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. It says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, but sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly. Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp in golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals? For thou wast slain and didst purchase for God, with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and in all things in them are heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory, dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Lord, may you bless the reading and the hearing of your word this morning to the uplifting of all of our hearts during this uncertain and fearful time. In your name we pray, amen. You're welcome to have a seat. <clears throat> when I was a younger man, I remember in my teenage years, 
I was one day wandering around a, a field close to my house, and I happened onto this white jug that had a cap on it. And there was no writing upon closer examination of this jug, and I found myself, being a typical teenager, curious as to what was in this jug. So I walked over to it, and it looked harmless to pick up, which I did. I looked at it, still couldn't tell what it was, and so I eventually screwed the top off of this jug and decided to smell what was in the jug. So I put it close to my nose and took a small little whiff, and within a split second, my head was on fire. It was like somebody had poured gasoline into my nasal cavity and struck a match. I mean, I've never experienced anything so strangely painful in my life. And later I came to find out that the content of that bottle was muriatic acid. So I experienced then just how offensive odors can be uh, to, uh, to our, our, our sense of smell. Now, with that story in mind, I want to introduce to you a topic today that I, I want to make for myself a theme this year in 2021, and maybe this will be of help and of interest to you. There are two theological viewpoints that kind of fight for press in our culture. One is deism, which is the idea that um, we can only know God through reason, and what our reason tells us is that there is, that there is a God who has created the universe kind of like a watchmaker creating a watch and has turned it loose and is detached and uninterested in how the world operates. That's called deism. The other point of view is called theism, which is the idea that God has created the universe and that he has an active interest in exactly what happens in our everyday lives and that he's actively involved in sustaining and supervising what goes on down here. Now, if you read the Bible and you take it seriously and you believe it, then you obviously operate from a standpoint of the standpoint of theism, which is the idea that God is actively involved in the universe and he does pay attention to what's happening. Now, what I want to do from this perspective is talk to you from the standpoint of theism, and I want to talk to you about how God is not only actively involved in the world around us, but he's deeply affected by what goes on down here. And I want you to understand that this morning, that what happens down here in our earthly lives affects the Lord very deeply, and he reveals that to us in his Bible. Now, if you look up here, I'm going to show you a slide that has verses that uh, you can take pictures of the slide or you can follow along with it. And if you want all of these verses uh, to be, uh, is someone in the slide room? I'll need for you to advance that slide. There you go. Um, and if you want this whole PowerPoint, just send me an email and I'll email the whole thing to you so you don't have to, you don't have to try to, to write these down. As you look at these verses, <clears throat> what these verses tell us is how God is affected by all the bad things that happen in our world every day. The first verse is taken from the early chapters of Genesis, and this is right before the Lord goes to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in that famous judgment that happened in fire and brimstone. And these angels are sent down from, from heaven to observe what's happening upon the earth. And notice what the verses say. Genesis 18, 20, and 21, it says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. 
And I will go down now and see whether they've done entirely as the outcry which has come up to me, and if not, I will know. Now notice that what was happening in those cities which were in the fertile crescent of Israel had risen up before the Lord. And the things that were happening, according to the verse, were exceedingly evil and grave. God had taken note of those things, and he came down to check it out for himself. And he was obviously grieved by what he saw. The next verse is from Hosea 7, and this is um, in reference to the Israelites. It says, they do not consider in their hearts that I remembered all of their wickedness. God sees and he remembers the things that we do. And it says, now their deeds surround them, and they are before my face. So what you see in this verse is how the deeds of God's people Israel were things that he not only remembered, but he took note of, and they were sort of in his face. And he saw them, and they were offensive to him. And then in the book of Jonah, the opening verses, when Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian ancient empire, which ruled the world for about five centuries, when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, this is what he said to him. He said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because their wickedness has risen up before me. Now, these, this small set of verses is just a subset of all we find in the Bible to show us how God is deeply affected by what he sees happening in the world. Now, this is kind of the bad news. The good news is, if you can put up the next slide, is that the scripture gives us this beautiful contrast to the deeds of the world that bring sadness to the heart of God. It also shows how deeds of righteousness have a soothing effect upon that offensiveness, that offense that God takes to the sin in the world. Look at these verses with me, if you would, please. In Genesis 8, 20, right after the Lord had caused the flood to fall upon the earth, it says the first thing Noah did when he exited the ark was that he built an altar to the Lord and offered a sacrifice. And listen to the account of it and how it affected the Lord. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every kind of clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And notice how the Lord responded. It says, the Lord smelled this soothing aroma. Beautiful contrast to the offensiveness of the deeds of wickedness in the world. Look in Exodus 29, 25. This is where the instructions are given to build a tabernacle. And it says, then you shall take them from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering for a soothing aroma before the Lord is an offering of fire to the Lord. Now, as the Lord was giving instruction for the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, he talked about the offering of sacrifices and how it was a soothing aroma uh, to the Lord. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. And then in Psalm 141, verse 2, uh, this is a, a Psalm of David, and he says, May my prayer be set before you like incense, and may the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Now, here's the first place that I know directly in the Bible where it, it links prayer and incense together. And incense, back in the days of the Bible, the Old Testament, was a fragrant, pleasant, soothing aroma. Now, keep that in mind as we now look at the tabernacle, and I'll show you a little bit more specifically where this theme of incense is found in the Old Testament. If we can advance to the next slide, what I'm going to show you now are um, some statements in the Bible about 
how when God gave directions for the building of the tabernacle, the place that incense and an altar of incense had in that building of worship. And this is taken from Exodus 30. Verse 1, it says, Now you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense, and you shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit, its width a cubit, and it shall be square. And its height will be two cubits, its horns will be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns, and you shall make a gold molding all around it. Now notice that as part of, there were like six pieces of furniture that were to be placed in the house of worship that God designed. There was this altar of incense. Notice that it says that it was a cubit wide. Now how wide is a cubit? From the tip of your finger to your elbow is approximately 18 inches. That's how they measured distance in the Old Testament ancient times, and this is called a cubit. So it was a cubit wide and a cubit deep and two cubits high. So it probably sat about this high and was a cubit square. Notice it mentions uh, horns on the altar and then uh, mentions that it was overlaid in gold. Now, if we'll advance to the next slide, I'll show you a little bit of uh, where this is found. It says, you shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the atoning cover that is over the Ark of Testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. And when Aaron sets the lampstands at twilight, he shall burn incense. So notice that this incense was to be burning all day long in the temple. You can advance the slide. It says, there will be perpetual incense before the Lord, then throughout your generations. Now notice that the Lord prescribed as part of his worship this burning of incense. And it was to go on in a perpetual way. Now, let me show you a little bit more about where this was found in the tabernacle, if we can see the next slides. Now, here's an overall picture of the tabernacle, and let's go to the next slide, and we'll look at it more closely. Now, this is a layout of how the tabernacle was prescribed by the Lord. The gate was on the left, and then you had the bronze altar and the bronze laver outside where sacrifices were uh, were slaughtered, and then the cleansing took place in the laver. And then the tabernacle was the rectangular square to the right where you have the tabernacle tent and then the court fence was around it. Now, if you'll advance to the next slide, please. Now, inside the tabernacle, this is what pieces of of equipment were there. There was a golden lampstand on the left, and I'll show you a picture of all this in just a minute. A table of showbread on the right. And then this altar of incense sat right before this curtain that, that allowed entrance into the inner part of the tabernacle, which is called the most holy place or holy of holies. A holy place was the larger square, and the most holy place was the inner square. So you had the veil and the curtain separating the two, and then you had the Ark of the Covenant, which was on the inside, or the holy of holies. And the priest would come into the holy of holies only once a year on the Day of Atonement, But the priest would come into the holy place every day to burn this incense. Now, let me show you some visuals of what this looked like. This is a picture of the altar of incense. Notice that it's square, overlaid with gold, and it sat in front of the curtain. You can just move through the slides. Now, this is where the altar of incense stood, right before the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies with the candelabra on the left and the table of showbread on the right. Next slide, please. This is a picture of the altar of incense. This is just a depiction. Now, let me show you the next slide, which is the actual altar. You can see the altar, the picture on the left, notice it's got the little four horns at the top and the incense is in the middle. 
But notice on the right that those four horns are red. And those four horns were red only once a year on the Day of Atonement when the high priest entered into the holy place and sprinkled blood on those four horns to cleanse the altar of incense. It was only red that one year. Now, next slide, please. Now, here's a picture in the holy place or inside the tabernacle where the candelabras on the right, table of showbread on the right, and the table of incense sat right before the curtain. And all of this was overlaid in gold and was very, very magnificent and beautiful. Okay, you can move to the next slide. Now, here's a picture I want you to see. Is that here's a picture of the priest who would come in and offer the incense. And notice the rising of the incense carried over the curtain and into the holy place, the holy of holies. So that, that uh, practice of following the celebration of incense in morning and evening brought a sweet aroma into the presence of the Lord. And that had a soothing effect upon him as he observed all the things that were happening in the world that, that were uncomfortable and offensive to him. So the next slide, please. Um, now what I want you to do is go with me for just a second to the book of Revelation. And I want to tie all this together. If you've got your Bibles open in Revelation 5, you want to turn in particular to verse 8. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. <coughs> now what this verse tells us it says, when he had taken the scroll, and that is the Lion of Judah, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, 24 elders represented 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, 24 elders, it says, it, it says that they bowed down before the Lamb, and each one was holding a harp, we've seen depictions of that, and golden bowls of incense. Now, what this verse goes on to tell us is what those incense or those bowls of incense were. Now, look at this closely. It says, those golden bowls of incense are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers. My prayers. These prayers are an incense, a fragrant perfume, a soothing aroma before the Lord. Now, let's talk about this for just a few minutes. I'm personally not a great prayer. I'm more of a doer. I'm one of these people that is busy about my father's business, so to speak. And I tend to be action-oriented. So I'm, I'm not a great prayer. I have to work at this. And if I were to look back on my Christian experience, probably my biggest failure would be in my prayer life. And while I am a person who's moved toward action and busyness, what I've learned over the years is that that activity has to be sanctified unto the Lord or it can actually be dishonoring to the Lord. And I've had to learn that. And so what I'm, the, my stage of Christian growth, what I'm learning to realize is that uh, the work of the Lord, when joined together with the prayers of the saints in my prayer, that is the highest and best combination that's honoring and soothing to the Lord. For me to run around like my hair's on fire, busy in the Lord's work, is not necessarily honoring to the Lord. You understand what I mean? So I'm learning to pray and to, to search my heart and to be more attuned to how the Lord is leading me and what he wants me to do and how to do it. So therefore, I'm kind of slowing down, and some people look at me saying, well, you sure are mellowing, and, and really what's happening is that God is working in my heart to make me a, a more sanctified vessel of use for him, and he's using prayer to do that. 
Now, as we know from the scriptures, not all prayers before the Lord are honoring to him. The Old Testament, there were times when God told the Israelites to just stop praying because your prayers are so offensive to me. So prayer, true genuine prayer, on the other hand though, is honoring to the Lord. Not only does it have a cleansing effect upon you and me, and not only does it neutralize the fear and the anxiety and all the negative emotions that can control us, but it not only helps us, but it, it is greatly honoring to the Lord. And therefore, this verse says that our prayers are like incense before the Lord. Now, let me ask you to, let me ask, a, go, let's go to the next slide. And what I want to do now is uh, show you the same idea found a couple of chapters later in the book of Revelation. It says, and an, and an angel, another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of incense ascended from the angel's hand with the prayers of the saints before the Lord. Now, you may sometimes wonder, you, are you saying to me, James, from the Bible, that my simple little prayerful expressions have that much power in them, that they could be a fragrant aroma and a blessing to the Lord? And, and what I'm telling you from the Scripture is the answer that's absolutely yes. Yes. That is what the Scripture is saying here. And so out of all the insights in the Bible on prayer and why we should do it, this analogy has done more to inspire me to pray than any other insight or principle or analogy that you find in the scripture. So I commend it to you this morning for your consideration that your prayers have this enormous power, especially when blessed by angels and others who bring them before the Lord to be a soothing aroma before the throne of heaven. So let me ask you to consider with me now, let's go to one more slide and um, we'll, we'll kind of end here. And I'm going to leave this with you and just let the Lord serve you, uh, serve these insights in your heart in whatever way he, feel led to do, he feels led to do that. And uh, let me just offer you this morning a, a simple definition of prayer. And prayer is something that uh, takes discernment. Its value has to be revealed to us by the Lord himself. And along with what we learn from our own experience, God has to give us his perspective on it and the value of it. And so what I want to suggest to you are these insights that are following acrostic for the word pray. <clears throat> and what I know is that when I, when I do these simple little things and I come into the presence of the Lord, when I leave God's presence, I feel like I've, I've connected with God. And this, this works for me. Maybe, maybe it will work for you and it'll help you a little bit. Let's let the P in the word pray stand for the word present. And the Bible speaks of presenting ourselves to the Lord, kind of as a symbolic language for seeking out the presence of God. Now, the thing I love about this word is the word present also has another meaning, not just to present, but to be present when we pray. I find myself a lot of times not fully present when I'm praying and my mind boomeranging and ricocheting through all my daily routine and being totally distracted and doing half-sentence prayer and, and catching myself and saying, you know, this, this is not right. Slow down, stop what you're doing, and really concentrate on the Lord. And the word is not so much con concentrate in the Bible, but it's consecrate. 
Consecrate yourself fully to the Lord so that when you come to pray, you are there. You're fully present and your mind is not somewhere else. So let's let the, C, the P stand for present. Secondly, let's let the R stand for reverent. And the, the word reverence, I'm still not sure about this word. I'm still working with it a little bit in my own heart. But the word reverence means uh, to have a deep respect for another with a sense of awe. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, we're not talking to the next door neighbor. We're not talking to just anyone. In fact, the Bible says the Lord is in heaven and you're on earth. And when you come into his presence, let your words be few. Because you're before the Lord and you should have a reverent respect for the person that you're talking to. And at times I find myself sort of breezing in and out of the presence of the Lord casually. That's, that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy thing. That does not add to my prayer life. I need to pull back from that and realize that if I'm going to seek the Lord, I need to do it in a reverent spirit. And when we seek the Lord with a reverent spirit, that automatically means that if there's anything misaligned in your life with the Lord and his will and his nature, you've got to correct it. The Bible word for that is repentant. So the word reverent and repentant, re reverent and repent kind of go together. So the second thing I need to do when I enter into the Lord's presence and I present myself to him is make sure that my heart is right before him. And if I've got any offenses given or taken with others, those have to be fixed. They have to be addressed. And I need to clear my own heart so that I can engage fully in what I'm going to do. So we must enter the Lord with a reverent, respectful, repentant attitude. And thirdly, the word A in pray. Um, I, I use the word ask up here because in Matthew 7, Jesus invites us to pray. Jesus really never explains prayer. He never tries to get us to understand it. He just says, just do it. And as a child approaches their parent in need, that's the spirit in which you should approach your heavenly father in need. Not trying to figure, out, figure it out, trying to intellectualize it, analyze it, be philosophical about it. Just do it. And when you come into the Lord's presence, come as a child. And when you're in the presence of your heavenly father, you're allowed to ask, you're allowed to seek, and you're allowed to knock. And those three words, ask, seek, knock, form the word ask. All of which depict the image of prayerful dependence upon God. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, our weakness and our smallness is exaggerated in light of his bigness. And when our sense of weakness comes over us, we're allowed to voice that to him and engage his help. He encourages us to do that. And when we ask and when we seek and when we knock, we're able to offload from our limited, narrow human shoulders, these big worldwide issues that tend to hold us down and suppress us. And we're allowed to leave them in his presence and in his feet before the throne of the person who's big enough to handle this. And he invites us to do that all the time. And we are so stubbornly resistant that we have to constantly deal with ourselves of wanting to do it ourselves, wanting to make it happen ourselves. But in asking, seeking, and knocking, what we're allowed to do is leave things before him according to what concerns us. And then fourthly, let's let the why in prayer stand for yieldedness. In other words, when you leave the Lord's presence, if you've truly prayed, and you've asked him to handle those things that are of concern to you, you can leave his presence a free man or a free woman. 
You're free of all these burdens that are too big for you and too heavy for you and, and things that you may try to run around like your hair is on fire to try to fix. And a lot of times you're just expending energy to no avail. It's just like shooting energy up into the atmosphere. Nothing's really going to happen because you can't fix or control most of the stuff happening. But the Lord can. And when we're heavily burdened, we're encouraged to ask, seek, and knock, leave those burdens with him, and then leave his presence free of heavy burdens so that the joy of the Lord can be a fragrant aroma to those around us, knowing that our prayer that we just offered in this spirit can be a fragrant aroma in heaven. I've been a Christian now almost a half a century. And you know when you hang around the family, you see things sometimes you don't like to see. And one, one of the things that I don't like to see in the family of God is a lot of complaining. I don't like to see that. The Bible says do all things without grumbling. But sometimes Christians can be some of the most complaining people. And that burdens me because instead of complaining, what the Bible invites us to do is to pray and to leave things in God's hands and then be joyful and be free in Him. And I'd like to see, I'd like to see myself and my fellow believers this year become less complaining about things. And there's a whole lot to complain about right now, a lot. Leave that stuff in the presence of the Lord and let's be about our Father's business in a joyful, free spirit, doing what we can. But maintaining this perspective now as we conclude, and that is, however burdened your heart is at this moment about what's happening in real-time history, and there's a lot of negative stuff right now. What happened in our nation's capital on Wednesday, you're going to read about that in history books in 30 years. That was ugly. And those things burden us. Well, however much they burden you, how much more of a burden are they to the Lord? How much more greeply, deeply does he grieve these things? Four people dead now, policemen. It's awful. But by you praying and me praying, coming before the Lord and bringing these things to him, our prayers can be a fragrant aroma. Not only that lifts our hearts, but are a blessing to him. So as we move into 2021, uh, as you know, this is a church that has a weekly prayer meeting. We're going to be operating off of some of these insights that we've called from places like the Brooklyn Tabernacle where they pray so powerfully. And we're going to change the dynamic of the way we pray on Wednesdays. And we have a prayer list we're going to be passing out now on Wednesday nights of the church needs, the church body, what's happening in the world. You take that prayer list home and you pray about it during the week. And if you want to join us during the week, we'd love to have you. But what I want to ask you to do as we move into 2021 is just follow this simple little insight, please. When you find yourself wanting to complain, when you find yourself feeling low, that's your cue to pray. Go before the Lord as much as within your power. Lift up whatever's concerning you to him. Offload it onto this great, powerful, and mighty God who's willing to help us. Take these burdens. He says, bring them to me. I'll handle them. And then realize that our prayers are just such a beautiful, fragrant aroma to him. And it neutralizes the heaviness in the presence of God over what's happening down here upon our chaotic earth. Does that make sense? All right, let me close with this little story. 
Um, if you're on Facebook, and I know a lot of people are getting off of Facebook right now, they're advertising this little game called Vertelis, and I ordered it. And what this little book is designed to do, what this little game is designed to do, is that the word Vertelis is a Dutch word that means tell me more. And the, the reason why this game was created is because people have gotten so busy today that they don't talk to one another very deeply. We pass like two ships in the night. And what you do at your dinner table is you take this little game and you have questions and everybody at the table has a question they have to answer and it drives the conversation deeper and more meaningful. And last night at our dinner table, we played this game and we did three rounds of questions and it took the conversation, which was otherwise circumstantial and, and surfacey, to a much, much, much deeper level. Now, I'm not recommending you buy this game. That's your business. What I'm saying, though, is that what this game did for my family last night, and hopefully in the days ahead, that's what needs to happen in all of our relationships with the Lord. It needs to go deeper. It needs to get more heartfelt and authentic and real. And knowing that as we are able to come before the Lord authentically and real, that our prayers are a fragrant aroma to a God who sees a lot of stuff right now happening. And it's a stench to him. But our prayers are a great, fragrant, soothing aroma. Let's enter into 2021 with that in mind. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we gladly enter into your presence this morning. And we present ourselves to you as your people who've had a, who've had a pondering week. We've had a wrestling week. Much has occupied us in terms of what's happening in the world around us. A lot of things we've seen have disappointed us. So, Lord, we're before you this morning knowing that you are the God who is seated upon the throne of heaven and that when we pray, we enter into your throne room and we're able to see things upon the earth looking down instead of looking around. And we're able to see things from your perspective and that lifts us just in the nature of the case. Lord, we come to you this morning in a reverent spirit. We know that we're talking to the most significant person in the universe. We know that you can snap your fingers and have planets race to their places. We know, Lord, that you can touch the stars and they smoke. We know that you can move mountains, you can change water into wine and wine into water and all kinds of things. You can heal leprosy, cancer, disease. You have power over all those things. And so we're coming to you this morning, Lord, as humble, dependent children, needing to know that someone bigger than we are is in charge and is attuned to our scary world. And Lord, there are many burdens that we have, and we're, we're, we're living in the middle of this spike of, of a pandemic. We sort of knew it was coming. We're getting phone calls every two or three hours that somebody's caught it or in the hospital and, or someone's on their last breath, and um, these are hard things. So we ask, seek, and we knock this morning, Lord, just asking, trusting, depending upon you to help us to be wise, to be protective, to be responsible in the way we live in these days, but also for you to watch over us, Lord, and to, to see to it that nothing happens to any of us except what you will for us. 
And once we can be attuned to your will, Lord, then we can be prepared for anything, life or death or anything in between. And Lord, we don't want to be a people who complain and are negative and radiate a lot of negative energy around us. And yet we do fall prey to that more than we would like to admit. Thank you, Lord, that the alternative to that complaining, grumbling, burdened spirit is to pray. It is to come before you and yield these things to you, to lay them before your throne and to uh, put them at your feet, and most importantly, to leave them there so that we can be unburdened of the heaviness that we see. And then when we go out and serve you, Lord, we want to go out and do our best, pray that it's blessed, and then know that you will take care of the rest. We want to live in that spirit, Lord. And so we begin this year, Heavenly Father, asking that you will continue to receive us into your presence and that you might place upon all of our hearts this simple impulse to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. Pray at every turn. Let that impulse not be suppressed within us, but let it be released so that we can be a truly, genuinely, authentic, prayerful people in these days, which helps us so immensely, Lord, but not only that, our main reason for doing it is because we then become a fragrant aroma, a soothing perfume in your presence. And we know that that blesses you and it honors you. Lord, form these things deep in our hearts. Cause them to be guiding principles in our lives. And we just thank you this morning, Lord, with grateful hearts that you're the God who is not only there, but you're there for us. And we early and often plan to enter your presence. We commend these ourselves and these things into your hands, Lord, and we pray in the sweet, sweet, fragrant name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Let's all stand as we end our service this morning. And together we sing, God, I look to you. God, I look to you. I want